We, as humans, we are usually afraid of what we cannot see. Welcome to Founders Voyage. We are fortunate to have two speakers today. They are co-founders of Incubion Social Robotics Laboratories, they are passionate about social robotics design and the many ways that robotics can help people in the future. We are honored to have Shoko Taka and Jaime Garcia here speaking with us. Awesome. Thanks, Spencer. And thanks to everyone that made the time to join today. Uh, Shoko and Jaime have offered to start us off telling us a bit more about their journey. And then we'll open the floor for just questions and discussion. So if you do think of questions while Shoko and Jaime are speaking, please feel free to type them in the questions and discussion channel. Um, and if you do have trouble finding that, you can always ping Spencer or myself. And we are really excited to have you both today. Thanks so much for being willing to share with us and go ahead. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you. So, 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 okay. So we prepare, we prepare this conversation kind of like, uh, I'm going to play a role of a moderator. So we kind of like, it's when we talk about robots and when we talk about like, uh, how do you face, uh, your relationship with new technologies? It's kind of like, what, what new technologies are you talking about? I, I, I have never seen a robot. So it's like, I, so with Choco, we discussed, like, we prefer to, give a initial introduction. I had like a very initial in, uh, conversation. And later on, we just open the, uh, the mic for uh, any questions or any discussions that uh, any of you wants to bring to the conversation. This first part, we kind of like divided in three steps. Uh, the first step is kind of like we are going to introduce us a little bit and talk a little bit of who Shoko is, who Jaime is. Then on the second part, we will jump more into what, what is the idea behind uh, Incubion? Uh, what is the experience that Incubion has had in the past couple of years? And then we will jump to the third topic that is probably something that everyone will have a thought and everyone probably has considered in the past few months, that is how are we experiencing robots and or new technologies into these corona times? So Shoko, let's... Uh, Let's probably start with the first part. Let's let's talk a little bit more about who Shoko Takahashi is. Sure. So, sure, but why yes. why don't you start introducing yourself a bit? What? Okay. <laughs> so my name okay, my name is Jaime Garcia. I'm originally from Colombia, but I've been in Japan for I mean this is I think this is my fifth year already. I'm a product designer, but since I came to Asia, I've been working mostly into design strategy and more recently user experience design. The concept of user experience these days is seen as a only digital, but what I'm trying to bring from my experience is the user experience from digital and from physical objects. So that's kind of like a... What I've been doing these days, 
Then uh, I'm working with Shoko, but I think Shoko will talk a little bit about that uh, when she introduces herself. Yeah. Okay, thank you for the introduction. And hi, everyone. My name is Shoko Takahashi. And I founded a company in Kyubiun since uh, 2018. And we are doing, we are a company that providing a, a robot experience design, which we are going to explain a little bit more in later. But we mainly uh, deal with service robots that are supposed to work in a social environment than the industrial environment. Uh, such as factories. So whenever we talk about robots, that is usually about not industrial robots, but the service robots, that's something. And I met with Jaime at our entrepreneurship bootcamp class three in 2016 in Seoul. And as many of you knew that during the time, because he wasn't my, in my team, so we haven't barely talked to each other, but we knew that that we both came from uh, Tokyo, and then so, so afterwards we get together and start uh, working together. And now we're in partner in business. When we came back to Japan, I knew there was someone from MIT that was living in Tokyo. So we met with Choco here, and she started talking to me about how to make a platform for robots that get in touch with real people and society in general and robot providers can connect with uh, people who don't have any literacy and would like to know more in order to experience and to have a life where robots and society in general can interact and i was like this sounds very interesting but i don't know anything about it Maybe Shoko, can you explain us a little bit more what is Incubion and actually how Incubion became a real a real thing? How how it started? Maybe this is this is a story that Jaime heard from me hundreds of times. But anyway, so my background is uh, I was working as product planner in automotive company, and it's a job to make a product more distinctive and trying to win the customer's heart and try trying to win a winning the market in the end. When I was assigned to a project of commercializing humanoid robot called Asimo in 2007, and my main interest was like, how can I make this robot more feasible and affordable and something acceptable in the society? So now the humanoid robot is just a human shape, uh, one head, two arms, two legs, a robot. And I was working as a product planner, but I, because the team was so small, so I had to do some kind of demonstration sometimes. So I do worked with this robot together. Well, literally speaking, I work with him. But anyway, so my job was like how to commercialize it. So we, are, we were a team of engineers and researchers and strategists like, like me. And our job is trying to bring this robot and trying to find a task that robot can perform and develop services. So we went to a lot of companies, hotels, uh, hospitals, amusement parks. And I mean, the most of the time, whenever we have our first meeting and the clients, the, our potential clients are like uh, very fascinated. They said they were so glad to meet us. And with they are speaking with us with sparkling eyes. 
and then start asking us a question like, so can the robot do this and that? And then they're so fascinated. But even before half an hour passed in our meeting, they start showing the signs of disappointment and underwhelmingly sigh because they found out the robot cannot do anything as they expected. And as many of you can easily imagine, I mean, the most of the time we failed to make it in business. And the reason was so clear. I mean, the shape is quite cute, but because of the lack of capabilities that stem from the unfledged technology, it's really hard to make this robot do something that the people are expecting. And technology hasn't hadn't and hasn't reached to the point that the robot can fully assist our lives around us. The engineers solely blame themselves. I mean, they always think that a technological progress hasn't been sufficient. And that is the single absolute answer to fill the gap between what robot can do and what people expect the robot would do. But, and then that's true. I mean, that's so true that we need more technology to make possible that the world robot can help us. But at the same time, I had different opinion about what is necessary. And that is like, so whenever we talked with this, the potential clients, the reactions we had, and when we explain about the prerequisite of robot population, and then they start hesitating introducing robots to their uh, environment, asking, okay, what is access point and why do we need to add new infrastructure to our building in order to let robots work? And you cannot actually really blame them for ignorance because imagine it was 2007 and it's like a, a year that iPhone was first introduced to the world and people are never imagined that Wi-Fi network are so essential in lives like now. So that was quite normal. And people don't know what robot is. People don't know what robot can do. And people don't know what is necessary for a robot to pro be provided. And they don't know what is their capabilities. They don't know what the robot's limitation. And they have no idea what human can do better than robots and what robots can do better than us. So without knowing that, it's so hard to make a judgment whether they should use this robot or in, in what way and why we need this. So this lack of knowledge prevents them and even us to open up new opportunity to work with robots, live with robots. So what I felt at the time, well, during these discussions, was like, it's not just about the technology, but it's also about our society that should be, that needs to be changed. So not only for infrastructure, but every norm of the culture or environment, social rules, or so everything that surrounds us needs to be redesigned when we try to accept new technologies like robots or the AIs or new entities that contains new technologies. But the funny thing was no one was talking about that at the time. I decided to work on 
by myself to the issue. So how I can in- improve the robot literacy for the, the people. And I started bringing robots into the variety of sites in different locations to test and try to increase the opportunity for normal people to interact with robot. And then through that experience, people start to learn how to well, live with them, how to communicate with robots, what is necessary for them and what is important for us to put them in our environment. From that experience, I also learned that we are so flexible to change our rules or the attitudes towards this technology. Because if you imagine if you have Roomba, the robot vacuum into your room, and then you probably heard of the story that people start to removing obstacles so that the robot can work properly. Once we start learning how robots will behave, and then we start to change our rules and environments and then trying to figure out the best way to collaborate with it. So I haven't known that what is the uh, these uh, trial and of redesigning at the time. And I tried by myself and then I always thought if there's any expert on this, then I really would like to get advice of someone. And then later I learned this is the something that people call experience design. And then that led me to well somehow hire me. That's when we start to well introduce the idea of experience design into robotics. Just to add on this, it's very interesting that what Shoko mentioned is kind of similar what is happening in, in my case and in my experience with design specifically. And is that so designers are not a unique entity that can do whatever whatever is assigned or whatever a solution they are thinking. At the same time, Incubion or Shoko specifically is not the person who knows all the robots and who knows how all the robots behave and can solve all the problems that society needs with robots. So the interesting point here is that the designer is kind of like a, a mediator. So Incubion is a mediator between the people who are robots who are working with robots or who knows or who are probably they are the experts in robots and the society because when we start discussing about what's the what what's what's really the role of incubion in the society is like there are people who would like to understand robots who are probably afraid of robots and they don't have the way to find information that makes them feel less scared that's on one side. And then on the other side, you have tech people, robot providers, or academics who really are very comfortable talking about robots, discussing about robots, discussing what is going to be next, but they don't know much about uh, how are these robots behaving in the society. So you have those two sides, and then there is no way of connecting. And then that's why when when we start discussing with Shoko, like uh, what is the role of Incubion? Is like Incubion is kind of like that bridge that puts these two together in order to make probably literacy or to create different scenarios. And I think for that effect, probably Shoko will tell us a little bit more in the next question that 
oh, you kind of like describe what was behind Intuvion, but now maybe Shoko, you can tell us a bit more about what makes Intuvion different and uh, probably if you can introduce to, to all of us a couple of projects or one project that you think this is something that is a really clear example of how Intuvion works. Okay, so so based on that philosophy, what we were doing is trying to increase the literacy, but there are a lot of different approaches. So this is one of the projects that is called Rob, Robot Inclusive Sidewalk. We try to increase the literacy of mainly three different targets. So first one is robot providers who are struggling to get their product accepted by the societies. And the second is a robot potential robot users who's actually being interested in using robots but feel like they are not ready. And the third is the people, normal people in public who are not familiar with the experience with robots. These three parties are our target. And actually, in this uh, scene, you see a wheelchair-like robots. Actually, this is one of the personal mobility called Wheel, uh, developed by a startup called Wheel, the same name. And because of this shape, I mean, in usually they are introduced in the welfare context or elderly care context. But actually, this personal mobility has a lot more capabilities. But they had a problem to be accepted in a different context. So, so that was one reason why we collaborated, collaborated with them to try to introduce this as a new uh, way of mobility for every diverse type of people. Another parties who's approaching us is uh, Tokyo Midtown, which is a huge commercial complex with hotels, office buildings, and parks. And then they are facility management owner. And they are trying to introduce robots in their environment, in the shopping mall or park or hotels, but they don't know what is what change they need to introduce these robots in their environment, in their property. So, in, for example, like uh, what kind of environmental, environmental caution is needed? What kind of operation is needed? What kind of patrolling is needed? So these types of things. So they wanted to try out without making this event like uh, too much promotional or one-time event, but they really want to learn from this experience and find to transform themselves, their current population so that they can accommodate with robots in the future. Fortunately, we have these uh, two great partners and what we did is trying to change the perception of robots and, and this particular robots. So trying, in this case, trying from the wheelchair-like uh, mobility, which is targeted only for the elderly or weak people, but we try to invite to drive everyone from the tourist locals and even the a park staffs so that we can not only introduce the capability of robot but also including these locals who's always been there they start seeing these robots one of the normal scene the most impressive scene is like people driving this real robot but among the others even who's running in the jogging and the kids are just playing around and this is a scene that is robot is accepted quite normally in the social uh, context. And then people start to learn 
to live with these new mobilities. This is what we've done. And we've also did some user research. From this user research, we got a great results that saying that people who tested this robot replied us that, OK, actually, we want to use this after the long walk of shopping. Or even the staffs who is patrolling this park is eager to use this because this is more agile and uh, quick and, and also tireless for them to patrol around the huge park. So that is actually the far more than uh, the wheel this uh, startup expected. And now, according to the wheel, the company, they start learning from this experience, and then they are now start to be used in the uh, other public locations like stations and airports, and even in the uh, huge apartment apartment com complex for the shelling services. In this case, we designed the scenario, and we talked with the uh, what is necessary. Uh, precaution, and we we also designed the environmental uh, landscape as well as operation, and as and well within the limit of the capability of these robots, and then trying to persuade, trying to well let people understand their life with robots, and this happens only in this weekend but people start to learn how to live with robots through this experience and that affected to the uh, later other case studies in Tokyo Midtown and also for Will. What is, what was very interesting uh, of this project is that Tokyo Midtown came to us like we would like to do something that is that involves new technologies or specifically robots. And then we had the robot provider saying we would like to be involved in sort of event where we can kind of like let people use our product. And then we were, again, as I was explaining before, we were like in the middle, it's like, okay, we can propose this scenario where a real people can, who doesn't know anything about this product can come to us and do a test of a product that has the image of is only for people with disabilities or is only for the, it's only for the elderly so in this way we could highlight the intention behind incubion that is integration that is socializing technology and at the same time is increasing or even start building literacy about the robots and with this example we clearly can see the results people are more interested, people got more curious into try it, and people kind of change this mindset of this is only for that function and that is only for this kind of person in order to now they explore or now they look for different ways to use the product. And we as Incubion, we are kind of like helping into that process. So Shoko, maybe you are you are more expert in this part because you are kind of like the, the person who are facing the client directly. How has been the reception uh, from the client or from people in general? Is everyone happy about what Incubion has done? Everyone is happy about how robots are taking our world? Well, I would say, well, one reason is maybe it's in Japan. I mean, the robot in general is quite welcomed, basically. But I think from 
well, these projects that we've done, not only this, but the, the several other projects we did, the most frequent comments we receive from people in general is they didn't know the robot has this capability and as well as limitations. I mean, this is the funny thing that the robot providers trying to sell out the benefit of robots, but they often fail to tell what the limitation. But it's more important for people to know the limitation and then getting to understand that what robot can do better, but what human can do better. And then from this understanding, they start to suggesting us, okay, if I were you, I'm going to use this robot in this way and that way. These reactions are so surprising for so surprising and so appreciated by the robot providers who's always having problems how to apply their products into the real life context. But then now the, their potential clients start suggesting them that the potential use cases, which is a great new relationship in between the people and robot company. And, and that's one reason why the robot providers are also appreciating our projects in, in the way they can find new way of connecting to the society and also in the way that led them to the use case that is more close to the commercialization of robots. Interesting. So, Shoko, now probably jumping into the, the last part of this uh, sort of conversation between us uh, for everyone. How this year has been treating Incubion so far? How it's been treating the partners? And maybe if you can see any opportunity for what Incubion is doing, what is Incubion thinking of the future these days? Yeah, that's a very good question. And because of this COVID situation, I mean, pe people start well, changing their attitudes towards robots. That is before the COVID, it was like, well, better to have things. But in this occasion, that prevents us from face-to-face -face communication. And then something in organic has to bridge those uh, relationships. And then now the robot came. And so probably you noticed that there are a lot of news are start covering that there's a, a robot introduction in the restaurant that is serving the plates or the delivery robots that is uh, learning to deliver their parcels or meals. And I mean, the attitudes of people are quite suddenly changed that is favorable for robots. But still I see they're trying to introduce robots, but still many of them have in mind if the robots came into our environment, that will work instantly. If we start to think about the raving with robots, and then you start to think about how we can change, how we can accommodate ourselves, our society uh, with the life with robot. And then to that point, I don't think the discussion uh, is coming yet, but people start to understand that the life with robot is coming very close to us. And that changes us in the way that, well, before COVID, it was like there are two steps for us to well, do our project. That the first is try to uh, convince people that there are something that robot can do better and that might well benefit you. And then after this awareness, we start discussion 
with so how we can change so what is the goal and how we can form the new scenario that uh, both robot and the human can work together comfortably but in the first part now that we don't have to persuade anyone the necessity of robots because now most of the people are quite aware of we need robots in probably in the future uh, normal so the good thing is we can ju just jump into the next discussion how we can create new scenario to live this robot that's the good thing for us i think and still i mean it's a good opportunity for us that people start understanding the necessity of how we should increase literacy of robots and then that is more urgent needs for most of them so maybe you can introduce our new project Atta. well maybe i give a short introduction so at the same time we have been working with different partners into what we call building scenarios for robots and kind of like that is increasing these days because of the, the current uh, social situation. At the same time, we are working hard on building what I mentioned before, literacy. And for that, we are working on a project called ATA, which means I founded in Japanese. And the idea is to build, uh, hmm, maybe Shoko will get a bit angry if I say it like that, but to make it very clear is like the, Instagram of robots, or like the Tinder of robots, or the Facebook of robots. And the idea is that it's very hard for people, for normal people like any of us, to go into Google and find the robot that you found on the news, or the robot that probably you need at the house to uh, mop your floor. Unless you have certain knowledge, you might go to the sources, but otherwise it might take some time, it might take some experience. So what we are working on is to kind of like a, a database of robot searching. Even for me, it's sometimes hard to find out, well, one specific robot, even though I've read in an article on the other day and then I, when, I, when I really want to recall it, and then it's still hard to find out what exactly the robot is. Obviously, it's harder for the normal people who, are, who has no knowledge about a specific term of the robots to find out a robot when, whenever they feel like, oh, I really want to do these things to be done by something else. And then, so, so that's, I mean, the quite simple, but the most obvious hurdle for the most of us to get to know about robots and then the most of the people has some fears of well asking people about robots because they don't know anything they don't know who to ask what to ask and also once they could find finally found someone to ask and then there's a fear that what if i couldn't understand what they're talking to me i think it's a great missing opportunity that for people to get to know more about robots and then I try to solve the problem in, in some of the different platform, as you say, the robot database by the robot database. And then again, like following in Cubion philosophy, we are building that connection or we are being that bridge between society and robot providers. So we are still following that lead. Yeah. 
So now I see there are a lot of questions. Yeah, so I guess I guess we could stop for now. There will be a lot of cases, a lot of stories to tell, but I think we would like to probably interact with with you guys. Daiki, who is in Tokyo, so so excited to see you, uh, alumni, and alumni and entrepreneurs in Japan. What was the hardest challenge did you face when you were founding your company? Ah, this was one question there, but we jumped it. The hardest challenge was like, it's hard to explain the motivation of myself to the people who has nothing to do with robots. I mean, for most of the people, robots are something that, well, if you have one robot, every single program you have is solved, but not. And then trying to break that misconception is the hardest. And it's because uh, that is so hard. So no one at first could understand what my intention is. That's so hard to find out partners. But well, I fortunately found, found Jaime who's been interested in my idea. So yeah, hard, hard to explain to others is the hardest thing. Yeah, and I think I, I agree with you. The hardest challenge was probably to even to start everything by your own so i think we we were kind kind of lucky to to be working together on this because the challenge is to be by yourself believing in your idea and kind of pushing your idea forward even if you are in your own bubble so sometimes i even have to burst shoko's bubble and sometimes she has to burst my bubble because we need to look outside and we need to understand that things are not are not always the way we think they are. So that's probably what is the most challenging. Then how do you how do you guys identify new real life use cases for your clients' robots? And can you share some of these examples? Yeah, that's that's good question. And but one thing is the for the most of robot providers tendency is like they're focusing on their robots so much and then they see the robots application in their perspective but if you have a lot of different use cases as you acknowledge and also i have i had a fortunate uh a fortune to get to know with people in the art and design field who's trying to utilize these robotic new technology into their artworks so I can have the inspiration from their artworks. And then I had some idea to how to apply these uh, ideas into the real life. And then that is, well, sometimes well, very well, unique from the perspective of the, our clients, the world providers. So that was the one. And if I introduce one example, maybe there's a, a one company called Denso who is making who used to be and is still uh, making the industrial robot robot arms, but they are trying to uh, create the new mobile arm robots so that you can use in, on your desk or lab. And then they were trying to find a way to promote the benefit of these robots. And we and Jaime and I introduce some ideas to making competition in between the uh, humans and this the small arm robots 
and then trying to see the what which one wins in the competition. And then that was uh, quite interesting because the robot was uh, integration robot was actually operated by the AI algorithm. So the most of the people have some fear that AI and robots will replace our us in the future, but through the competition, what they knew is AI st is still progressing and an AI and robot combination can sometimes be better to be used in certain use cases, like, well, 24 hours, just bringing salt from one plate to the others. But if you see that in the short time period, and then the human could do better the same job, but humans do not want to do that in 24 hours in a day. So in that case, maybe I prefer to use this robot. So well, showing these stories by using experience and then trying to reduce the fear of people. And at the same time, again, this time again, these people are start suggesting us the new usage of these robots. So uh, one, one guy from, uh, working for a pharmaceutical industry said, well, I want to use this robot during when I try to count on the pills from one plate to the others. So, so why don't we have these robots to our app? Or so those type of things happened. So, I mean, applying new idea to this robot is always you know, quite fun. Yeah, and then the, the second question here is uh, so. Um, Robots typically uh, take long time before they are operational. So even during that time, it's not sure whether the finished robot would be used or would be useful at all. So how do you, how Incubion helps clients to integrate the unfinished robot into society during the development so that people can have a better uh, take on how the, the the development uh, works are completed. Choco, correct me if I, I'm wrong, but when a company, when a robot provider is working on a robot, we will be all, we will be only able to see it when it's in the latest phase of uh, development. Yeah. And unless they need to, unless they need to have like an extra investment, they will show it a certain phase before, but it's it's hard to find those kind of uh, robot providers. It's usually only until the end. So having said that, uh, this question is actually, uh, we won't see, I mean, we won't be able to see a, an unfinished robot in a, in a commercial market. Yeah, in a commercial market, yes. I mean, because then usually in a commercial market has to be finished products. So, but yeah, I, I mean, he's right. So sometimes, or, or the most of the cases, uh, many robots are under study and then trying to well, improve more. And, uh, but I think that is the most important point from my experience because the ASIMO itself will fail to commercialize in the end, but it, because it means a lot for us to have our experience with interacting with the humans a lot because it's understudy. I mean, there are a lot of intakes for the uh, robot providers while they have been, when they haven't finished 
the products because usually they don't even know what's happening in if this product at this moment is used in the context of it is used in the user side. So there's a, always a gap in between the uh, what robot providers are expecting these things to be used and what real user would do. So having that opportunity to meet those two people and see each other what is possible and what is impossible, what is good, what is bad, is always great benefit for the robot providers to put in another feature into these products. Or well, sometimes they have to remove some features because that is too too complex for for the users. So it's the being unfinished is the most important thing. And I we fortunately could work with these uh, robot providers who also see that they want to appreciate their additional input from or potential users so that they could improve the further development in better way. Yeah, my take on this question is that there is also the case that a Finnish robot is probably a social robot. It only uh, has, it has a specific function of socialize with people or it has a function, a very specific function of doing this or that. But then within Incubion, we realize those robots could behave in a different environment, in a different scenario. So in that case is when we probably start doing a pitch. So uh, for example, this, uh, uh, this project that Shoku introduced uh, earlier on, Will, is like instead of using it for the healthcare uh, environment, why not bring in, for example, bringing it, bringing it into the tourism environment, for example. And then we start kind of like having that conversation with the robot providers, which is, is not unfinished, but it's probably not in a diversified uh, market. Okay, uh, Rachel, do you feel that the public <laughs> could be re-educated to not have these unrealistic expectations of robots. Uh, do you think the culture, so for example, movies and in general sci-fi, has created an attitude to uh, overestimate robot performance? What do you think, Shoko? Yes and no. And of course, people are overestimating to robots, but but more than that, I mean, not only the robot providers, but we are very much have good influence. We have good influence from these sci-fi movies about our futures. And then, so by having that image, sometimes help us to accept things in the way of, so, well, one example is like, well, Wi-Fi or the let's say the Apple Watch kind of thing. I mean, it was like a sci-fi. How what Apple Watch could do is like of a sci-fi. But I mean, we have that right now. So having those image is, in most cases, help us to live with. Well, at first, I mean, to feed a great inspiration to the uh, engineers and researchers. And the second, I mean having the common knowledge about the usage of a future product is 
something so beneficial. I mean, it's hard to explain something you could never imagine, but beneficial and then to persuade people. But if you have certain image and then if you could explain that, oh, that thing used in the Star Trek in this scene, something like that, it's easier for people to get to understand the image of that. So I wouldn't say that is a, only providing bad influence on that, but uh, on overestimation, but we all also have the good influence on that. So. Rachel, what I think, what I think on here is that I don't know if it's called re-education, but it's probably we are talking about literacy. And what is happening in general is that we as humans we are usually afraid of what we cannot see or what we haven't had any experience with. So, for example, if a person in uh, I don't know in Colombia. Uh, Choco goes there and talks about the latest robot that is working in a convenience store. So a person who has a small shop in Colombia will be so afraid to lose their job. But it's because this person have, hasn't had the opportunity to, to see the robot, to read about the robot, to actually understand the way it works. And I'm pretty sure if this person uh, gets the chance to have that connection will feel well will feel less uh scare will be able to probably socialize even more with these uh new technologies and in the long run will probably uh, be accepting so it's kind of like a it's a it's, it's a process and it's probably a process that we as incubion are also helping that to happen okay how do you guys convince the public that the robot is considered safe. So this is more about like certifications or standards. They might don't know what these standards are, so how do you guys translate the certification into a language that the public can understand? Great question. So actually I'm working as one member of well, trying to set up the safety standards for robot service robot operation. And Actually, it's now well undergoing discussion worldwide. So, how to set up the uh, not the certificate, but uh, safe safety standards for service robots. And it's still hard to set a standard during the phase of development because, well, if the standards comes first, and then there will be no trial is happening and they will never have any chance to test it out, out how far we can go and how far we can't but at the same time we cannot really risk the human lives or well we don't no one wants to get uh, injured by the robots so yeah that's a quite sensitive discussions and at this moment the evaluation is in between whether our clients feel safe or not to this kind of risk. And one good role of Incubion is because we have a background of robotics. So we know what is the risk and we can actually interpret the risk to the, our potential clients. So in the way that robot providers cannot 
So they are not really good communicator of technology. So we somehow translate that risk into the client and then uh, trying to mitigate. Uh, we also propose the uh, countermeasure to mitigate the risk and then see whether they can accept the risk or not. So safe, there's no uh, safety standard in general yet in Japan and not in the worldwide too. But we are trying to set what is the risk they can accept. And then having that knowledge itself is also be, will also be a great asset for us too. Yeah, and I think, I think this, conversation, this conversation is very important and I'm pretty sure it's something that is, is uh, in the making, but not only safety standards, but also ethical standards. There, are a, there is a big discussion going on about what are the ethics of new technologies. So that's something that I think we are lucky we are involved into this. So at some point, probably we will have our, our voice also uh, into this, this conversation. Shoko, do you face any backlash with respect to the view that robots are taking our jobs? Uh, fortunately not. <laughs> And one reason is because we are working in Japan, which, well, historically we have very little conversation about this. But yeah, I don't. But I know the situation is different in the different world. And one thing I would say, I could say from the point of, well, former robot provider, and it's if the robot the time the robot could really replace humans is like so far ahead. And before that, we have to deal with a lot of discussion like how the society and how the ethics uh, affect to us. And then, so yeah, we have it. Yeah, so uh, Raman, from my point of view, is like every community, every society, has their own timeline. Last, a couple of years ago, I had the chance to, to go to uh, Africa and I was talking uh, with some of them, telling them, yes, in Japan, we have this robot that can bring you a coffee to your bed. And they were like, why do I need to buy a robot that bring a coffee to my bed if I have one person who can bring it to me and actually talk to me telling me how is the coffee? And yes, that's correct. That's right. We don't need it at that point. But probably they need another kind of technology or another kind of robot that help them in a day to day on a day to day basis. So societies have different levels uh, of uh, evolution and different levels of approach technology. So in that regard, robots apply to different functions and to different uh, users in a different way so so our our process and our function is uh, is trying to is trying to tell uh, users there is a specific robot that could help you with this or talking to robot providers to tell them you cannot only aim this robot to do only this task because not all the users need i have this uh, uh need or the need is not required or not expected to be solved in the same way so 
there is certain fear when that robot that is coming can only do this thing and this thing actually i don't really need an extra solution but it's kind of like it's a conversation that we all need to have yeah that's i mean that's a great point that i missed to explain in this discussion that we don't aim to find robots in every corner of society we don't see that robot is necessarily in any situations but we also see there are certain situations or certain scenario that robot could do better and then that is sometimes uh, different from what people see the robot could do better so what we are trying to do is uh, trying to minimize the misunderstandings and, and both for the normal people but to the robot providers too so that we can reduce the mismatch of the robot application yeah, and on the second question that uh, Raman is making here is that people are already doing those jobs without having to organize a structure around the robot. This is challenging uh, to convince people. But then on this question is like, we, I mean, at Incubium, we are not trying to say this robot will replace this job or this robot will replace this person. But we are trying to do is as much as possible trying to offer a scenario where robots and human beings can collaborate, understanding that human beings have certain skills that probably robots lack of, and robots have certain skills that actually are a complement, are an addition and a efficient and a good addition for human, uh, uh, for, for society's sake. So it's kind of like, it's not one or the other. It's try to think of this environment where both can uh, co-work. What do you think, Shoko? Yeah, exactly it is. And then, so in the case of well, challenging to convince people is like, well, especially for the robots for elderly care, and then because of this aging society, it's and then also the lack of numbers of people who's doing their caretaking jobs. I mean, the people often like to discuss about whether we should introduce robots into these uh, situations. And then that's quite, well, simple way of thinking, but at the same time we, well, when whenever I visited these, the elderly care house, and most of them doesn't have Wi-Fi into these rooms, and then, so, also, they, their caretakers are not measured by what to say, how much they work. So, if the sum of the caretaker wear a robot suit, that will help to carry uh, people. And then that's just end up being that they're exploiting that employee by powering him out. So, we need to think about the evaluation system of these employees and then they need to change the whole way of thinking about what is working for people in the, the care, uh, elderly care houses so so this is the great example that we cannot only talk about the robot introduction or not and then so as you the raman pointed out we have to think of restructuring the how we're going to work how our 
value to be set. And then we have to redesign all the things, considering if the robot is coming toward us or uh, if we have to work with these technologies, then how we can reset our norms or standards within that uh, situations. So yes, it's challenging and it's hard to convince people, not only the fact that, but also to convince people that the restructuring, whole total redesigning is needed. Okay, Nancy, and then I think Adriana has a, another question. I don't know if you can tell from my picture, but I actually use a wheelchair and I've used a robotic arm in the past that attached to my chair. And when I had to give it back, I literally felt like I lost an arm. Did you let people with disabilities try it out and did you get their input? Um, because I heard you mention something about people using them in the parks. And I was thinking if they're using something that's like a wheelchair and they don't actually need it, then that just makes people lazy. Um, and people like myself could really benefit from this. And uh, I would totally love to try this out. Yes, one example of the project that we've, we haven't covered in this discussion was how we can change the environment more inclusive for even the, the people in disability or the robot as well. And then there are uh, some ideas, we haven't really the, uh, implemented that yet, but about the, let's say the robotic uh, trains, because well, when, when I work with the people in, in Wheel, the startup, they were also working for the uh, people who has the disability in legs. So therefore, uh, there are many wheelchair users in the wheel customers. And then I heard a story that they have to, they have a lot of problems just to get into the train. And the, because there is a gap in between the platform and the train, and then they need, every time they need some help of someone in the station to help them out to get into the train. And then my answer was like, why don't we change the, the car, the train itself as robotic in, in robots, in robotic way? I mean, there's the only thing they need is just a flap on, on the door and to the, to the uh, platform. And then that is not any advanced technology. I mean, you, you can get the technology from anywhere. And the only thing is the mindset that, that this world is designed for, for everyone is comfortable. I mean, if you, you change the idea and then we can start thinking about the changing the robot and changing the car design of a, of a train. And then that will reduce the uh, hurdle of, of course, the wheelchair people, but also for, let's say, the personal mobility or the people, uh, the mom with the baby buggy, that all of them who is who has some patience about to accommodate themselves within to fit in the current environment will be helped. So I think that our idea of changing environment, the changing the standard we see through the robot is also should be applied to that kind of change. 
So if, if that could include the answer for you, and maybe the Jaime should add something. Yeah, yeah. So Adriana, this is this is very interesting question, and this is a very interesting conversation because actually we have been having this discussion with Choco. Uh, the easiest way for robot providers and the easiest way for companies who are thinking in developing new robots is to make a social robot. So they don't know what to do. They don't really understand users. So they make a robot that when they look at you, they will smile. And it's like, who else in the world needs another robot that look at you and smile? So why do we need more of this? There are people with real needs and there are people who really need their environment change to be thinking on another social robot. So part of our role in Incubion is to kind of like start throwing that question to the robot providers and also try to build scenarios where, as, as Shoko mentioned, the train is a really good example. It's like, why don't we think of implementation of technologies or implementation of robots that actually uh, are beneficial for people who really need it. But I mean, it's, it's also a matter of business. It's like, like if I sell my social robot, I will get it to sell 500. But if I make a social a robot that is gonna help people to get on the train, maybe I help three people. So that's not beneficial for my business. So we are trying to work on, on that mindset that is not like, it doesn't mean that only one person will use it, but it's kind of like we try to expand the business and we try to expand the market. So it's like everyone is welcome because it's also, it's, it's also that not because this person is with certain disability, this technology is for you and now you will be unique. And every time we see you with that robot, you will be treated as a person with disability. That's also not something that we want. So we want, uh, we imagine these scenarios with the normal person, the person who is not seen as normal because has a disability, and robots are all into one. Thank you for a great question. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Everyone asked amazing questions today, and, and thank you so much to Sho and Jaime for your insightful answers. Really appreciate you taking so much time. Have a great day and an evening ahead. Yes, thank you very much, all, and Nancy and Spencer, thank you for organizing all of this great discussion. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, and definitely we'll keep in touch. This conversation is not over yet. Thank you so much. This has been Nancy and Spencer on Founders Voyage Weekly Podcast. Our speaker each week can be reached through our Discord server. Our intro and outro music is from the song Something for Nothing by Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Until then, have a great day and continue your voyage.